You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corr and the Bishop Reverend C.L. Mitchell. C.L., how are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. It's a wonderful day here in Phoenix. It's a Saturday afternoon and it's rainy. I mean, it's praise God. You pray for these days. Blessings flow. These are the days you want to stay home and read your book, right? And put your fireplace on if it's too cold. It's not too cold here because, like, Phoenix never gets cold. But these are the kind of days that you like to stay home and just kind of do nothing. And here we're going to talk about the book of Jonah. Absolutely. And and while we are experiencing weather that we love, yes. uh, our hearts do go out to Californians yes. who are experiencing um, um, much needed rain. Yes. To, and we have a lot to, of listeners in California. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To, um, to settle their drought issues albeit yeah. at the same time it's creating some uh, mudslides that's quite dangerous. Yeah. So we're praying for their welfare and individuals in the Midwest and in the East that are experiencing very severe weather. Yeah. We're praying that as you hear this broadcast that uh, God's grace will find you well. That's right. We also want to thank you for listening. We we know there's a lot of people around the world and around our country that have started to tune in and we appreciate your listenership and we give God the glory for what He's doing, and we our prayer is that God would be glorified uh, through this, and that your lives would be changed, and that He would draw you closer to Him, and draw you to read His Word as well. And I don't know about you, but as I even as we're studying and reading through the Book of Jonah, um, God's been speaking to me, and I can relate to <laughs> Jonah in some ways. And so, as uh, you uh, listen in our conversation. We have our Bibles open. We have a cup of coffee, coffee or tea or a glass of water or whatever with us. And uh, we just barely started this series. This is the part four, and we're still just the first part of chapter one. So uh, I'm going to start by reading the first part, and then we'll enter into our discussion. Jonah 1 starts off by, by saying this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord, the Lord, hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, "'How is it that you are sleeping? Get up! Call on your God!' Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast the lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Now we're going to stop there because there's a lot to talk about, um, about what's going on. Jonah, obviously, as we said in the previous episodes, Jonah is not a new prophet. Jonah had, had already had a career, so to speak, as, as a prophet of God. Uh, we referenced that in the first two episodes uh, about Jonah yes. speaking in Second Kings 14. But Jonah, he doesn't do what normal prophets do. <laughs> normal prophets say, okay, Lord, or I'm afraid, God, or I stutter, God. Now, Jonah decides to do the opposite of what God tells him to do, and that's kind of what we're going to pack today. Um, we're going to start actually with his, with his actual uh, thing where he actually runs away and he flees from the presence of the Lord. Um, but it's interesting because Jonah is not your typical prophet. And so in one sense, when you're reading the book of Jonah and listening to the book of Jonah, the true story of Jonah is between God and Jonah. The, character, the other characters in the story are sort of side characters. The real issue is with Jonah. And Jonah, the book of Jonah is really about who Jonah really is. And there's some things that God does to Jonah or speak to Jonah. And there's this, this thing that develops between them. But God decides to use this kind of guy who decides to run away um, from his presence. So let's enter into that discussion. Yeah, John, it's, it would help to remember. As I look at this text, I'm reminded that the earlier part um, consisted of three main verbs that uh, were directives what from verse God. Are you looking at? Um, in verse number two, when um, uh, God says, arise, right. and the imperatival force of that, uh, we said it's get up now. Okay, imperatival force. <laughs> he just lost <laughs> half the people out there. <laughs> okay, bring your Bible and your Oxford Dictionary to the study tonight, okay? It, it, it's, it's a command. It's a command. And it's extraordinarily strong. Right. Um, and he says, go Which to was, Nineveh. Well, now, technically, the, the real command is go. The arise is sort of auxiliary to the main command. The main command is go. Yes. Right. Yes. But you're saying. So, so stand up now. Get up. With force. Yeah. Uh, go to Nineveh. Right. Uh, the, the implication right now. And cry out against it um, for their evil or their wickedness. Well, you know, what's interesting, and this is back in verse 2, is that he uses those two verbs right after another without conjunction between and all that, which speaks to the the, 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 the quickness, the let's get going, let's get up and do they this. They come quite successively. Exactly. And so the, the sequential order would suggest that this is this is of an urgent nature. Okay. Um, and, and what we were talking about before, which, which as you were pointing out, I thought it was very interesting. Um, uh, you were referring to um, 
Ashurbanipal and one of his statements when he said, uh, pertaining to the evil, I... Hold on, hold on. Ashurbanipal, he was the leader of the Assyrians. Of the Assyrians. Okay, let's let's make sure. Yes. You know, okay. And he said, I slit their mouths, their tongues, and brought them low. The rest of the people alive I cut down as an offering. uh, Their dismembered bodies I fed to the dogs, swine, wolves, hold on, hold on, hold on. I hope hope people out there aren't eating their dinner right now or their lunch, (laughs) because you just grossed me out. He's bragging about how he's proud how ruthless he is. Yeah, this. and he's not the only one. This is what their leaders did. Yeah. Um, uh, Ashur Nasserpal, uh, one of their leaders, actually said, I captured the city. 600 of their warriors I put to the sword. 3,000 captives I burned with fire. I did not leave a single one among them alive to serve as a hostage. So, uh, who lied, their governor, I captured alive. Their corpses I formed into pillars. Okay, so you're bringing him up, these guys up for pre-dinner yeah, plans. Because what we what we were discussing the last time right. was this, that um, uh, when he hears that he is to go to these individuals right. and to deliver a message of hope, quote-unquote, um, and when I say a message of hope, we reference to the book of Amos, if you will. Yeah. And in the book of Amos, what we were aware of was that when God delivers an oracle of doom or a prophecy that is bringing judgment to a nation, one of his reasons for doing that is because that message is intended to cause them to repent or to turn from their wickedness that he might be gracious to them. And so in response to that, uh, in response to the word of God that's driving this narrative, uh, the prophet uh, does get up. Right? Um, in verse number three, right. his subsequent activity or response is he right. gets up. And he does go. But that's where we're picking up today because he goes, he, <laughs> he goes in the opposite direction of what yeah. God said. Yeah. And and that's going to be a, a quite a situation. And you're in the middle of a prophetic commission. And as you were pointing out earlier in our discussion here, in most prophetic commissions, people should know, or, or you know, as we're discussing this, that literally there are people who have said, no, God, don't choose me. Right. Moses, right? Various individuals throughout scriptures uh, rebutted God and said, I don't feel that I'm qualified for Gideon, this. Gideon, um, Jeremiah. Yes. Um, I'm, I, even people like Joshua, God has to say, Joshua 1, fear not, I'm going to be with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. With you. But he doesn't have any of those objections. You know, He jump. has them silently. He gets up and he, he's gone. Right. But those other ones were because of fear. Absolutely. Who am I, God? I'm the least in my family. And this is Gideon speaking, you know, he's hiding out, threshing wheat, you know, in the wine press, you know, <laughs> so that the Midianites don't see him. Um, Jeremiah, of course, um, he's just a youth, right? Uh, Moses, he stutters, he's not, he just he doesn't have confidence. Who am I, you know? Jonah, though, he doesn't have those kind of fears. This is this is a this is a pure unwillingness. There's go, his fear is going to uh, be articulated nearer the end of the narrative. Yeah, and uh, what he's afraid. But of, he's afraid. He's not afraid of of what people do to him. Right. No. Oh. What he's afraid of is something found in the character of God, and and that's that's going to be a nugget that but, is going to be unpacked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's not leave that for a second because that's an interesting point. Because sometimes when you know, it's something when God calls calls a person, right, to bring a message. Here's a Jonah, here's a prophet, right? And he calls them to, um, it's not just about the message, right? We think, okay, God, give me the right words to say, right? Help me to say the right things. It's it's often God 
dealing with the messenger, you know, yes. as well. And here you have, you have, of course, God always has to work on the messenger as well. You have Moses becoming, learning what a shepherd looks like, right? Because knowing that God's going to use him to lead all these Israelites out of Egypt. Well, early on, he's a, you know, he's kind of quick with the, with the rock or something, you know, and kills a guy. He had to learn how to be a shepherd, you know? Um, and so God has to work on the messenger as well as the message. I think here in Jonah, I think we're going to see that as well, that, that Jonah... He knows what the message is, right? The message is pretty clear, but his heart and where God needs to bring him, it's like God doesn't give up on on the work he has to do on Jonah. You know, he wants to save these people in Nineveh, but at the same time, he wants to also address Jonah's heart as well. Yeah, John, I want to join you on that point, and I want to oh, extrapolate. Me. <laughs> I want to extrapolate that. <laughs> I don't on, want to be alone <laughs> on that for a moment because when we're discussing. Um, the inspiration of scripture or the divine impress, as it were. Uh, How do we know authentically that this is indeed and in fact the word of God? One of the proofs of that is the authenticity that is seen within the realness, the reality, the, the rawness of the servants, right? That's not just something we see with the disciples. That's something that scripture is replete with from Genesis to Revelation. No, because you know, if you wrote the story... Batman would be the hero of the story. Absolutely. And not Superman. Uh, uh, yes, if I wrote the story, you are so correct. Because I am a Batman fan. Yeah. And Batman wears Bruce Wayne. Right? <laughs> In this story, I think what we see is we see a broken man. Hmm. And what God works with are broken servants. Broken, when you mean broken, you're not mean broken like he's sad. No, I mean people who are not all put together. Right. People who are complex. Uh, uh, Individuals who carry this treasure in earthen vessels. And and the message is August, but the messenger is quite messy at times. So, but doesn't doesn't, doesn't that tell you a little bit about how the Lord works? Because sometimes, I don't know about, I tend to be a perfectionist personally, right? And I'm the kind of person that thinks I'm not usable until I have fixed these issues. Mm. And here, what you're saying and what scripture teaches as well is like, no, God actually picks the broken people to use to minister. And also in the process of ministering, he heals them or he works in their heart. You know, he kind of, you know, he doesn't pick their, you know, here's Jesus. He doesn't go to the seminary in in Jerusalem or the rabbinic school in Jerusalem and pick the, the, the greatest and the brightest people. He picks average people that are sinners, right? That he chooses to change the world with these 12 men, you know, and, and yeah, some and followers. And I think for, for us, we have to appreciate the, the, the complexity, the struggle, dare I say, the darkness of this prophet who's going to be, as it pertains to foreign nations, um, evangelistically and missiologically, the quintessential successful preacher of the first testament yeah and yet look at the material that god is working with and that's encouraging to me if i can confess that to that's you john right. because it suggests there's a place for me in god's great um toolbox yeah but it, it does it brings it brings courage to me as well and it's also a struggle because the tendency to think i'm so broken i'm not usable you know mm. And that is, that's usually a lie from the devil. And it's also often where we think God can't use me. I'm too useless to him. 
Yes. You know, and here you have a broken prophet who's going to bring about a tremendous repentance, or he's going to be used by God to bring this repentance. And uh, he's still broken. At the end of the story, he's still broken. But there's there's issues that God brings up to him that that uh, he has to, you know, to help help him out. So, and his brokenness is going to be exhibited within the framework of verse three. There yeah. are several things that are going Let's on. Look at that. Verse. Um, I, let me just. Uh, mention a few technicalities about this verse, first of all, John, that really impressed me. Um, What you have in verses 1 and 2 is, in verse 1, the command of the Lord, and in verse 2, the command of the Lord continuing with a description or a brief characterization of the the city that he's to go to. Um, But in verse number 3, it starts off with what we refer to grammatically as an adversative conjunction, right? Nice. in other words, there is this uh, this opposite that is going the, to occur. It means the word but. Yes. <laughs> it, <laughs> That's it, real it, technical. It's, going in, the, it's yeah. going in the opposite direction. Right. So here's what you have in verses 1 and 2, God said. Right. So something's seriously wrong in verse 3 now, because things shouldn't be going contrary to what God said. Just that conjunction immediately is cluing the reader in to a problem. Right, and it's interesting. We think of you think in in the the throne throne room of heaven. Let's say you're uh, you're with Jesus, you're with the God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and God the Father says to this angel, "Go here and tell this message. You know, bring a message, or go here and do this." You know, there's there's no hesitation. He t- he says uh, in the beginning, you know, light. You know, let there be light. Boom, there's light. You yes. know, let there be this or that. You know, and boom, there's you know. Here you have, <laughs> you have. There's not one, you know. There's not one particle or atom or any electron that is out of his his control, and yet here's Jonah who decides to not go, who decides to go the opposite way. Obviously, clear rebellion on jo- on Jonah's part. You know, there's, yeah. you know, we're not talking about an unbeliever here. No, we're talking and, about it. A- and as you're looking at this book, what you're supposed to see is the the book working together in order to enforce the the sheer shock and awe, and frankly, the shame of what's happening in verse number three. Because wherein in this book, the the wind will obey. God's voice. Yeah, the sailors the sea, are the, going to obey His voice. The fish, the sea, the 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 fish, the plant, the plant, the worm, the, the worm. Yeah, the nation, the foreign nation. Yeah, the only person who does not want to obey I am's voice is the person under His employ, who's not just a believer, but is supposed to be a mouthpiece for right. Him. Now, that's talk about irony there. I mean, everybody and everybody else in the story. Even the ship knows <laughs> yes, there's a. We'll get, it, we'll get to that. Even That's the ship profound. knows there's a problem, and is is attuned to the situation here. You know, when you have inanimate ob- objects being more clue responsive, responsive. and obedient. Yes. And I deliberately want to use that word obedient. Yes. I mean, that's that's like a little mystery that we'll unpack in yeah. a little bit. But everything is obedient. But here is this this servant under, again, the hand of God, um, uh, who has been given a command of God, and he's the one that goes opposite in the book. Yeah. So so here, so we obviously it begins with, with you know, but Jonah decides to get up and go 
<laughs> a different direction. Yeah, okay? it's an urgent term. It's it's, yeah. it's cum. He rises, he right? Rises. But he rises to do the exact opposite of what I am has commanded him to do. Yeah. And and then you have, of course, the purpose of his rising. The purpose of God's statement earlier in verses <clears throat> one and two for him to arise was to go to Nineveh. But the purpose, as stated in in chapter one, verse three, b is to flee to Tarshish. Now, here's yeah. an interesting thing, John. Yeah. This verse, technically verse three, yes. is is what we call an inverted structure or a chiastic structure, right. right? And the idea is this is an ancient literary tool that was used by writers in order to highlight a major point. Right. And in that major point, they would revisit themes. And so like, for instance, if they mentioned one theme in the earlier section, right. they would revisit that theme right. in the later section. Right. And the concept that was at the middle between those themes was really the, the main, main point. point. Right. And so, for instance, you'll notice, you know this, that, for instance, the text says in the earlier part that he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of I am. Yeah. And in the latter part, part of uh, the verse, um, what would be 3H, it says to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of I am. Right. So, so verse three... So it begins and ends with fleeing from the Lord, fleeing to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's the sword of the sandwich. Those are the bread of the sandwich. The, the, exactly. It's it's like a sandwich. And yeah. and the, the two ends, the two bread ends, yeah. um, are really, um, he wants to get away from the presence of yeah, we'll I am. We'll talk about that in a second, because, um, well, the main point, though, is in the middle. That's correct. Now, now if, if the two sandwich ends, let's say, we're going to use the book ends or the, the pieces of bread is, the, is fleeing to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord. In fact, he tells them, he tells the sailors, yeah, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Obviously, that's the main point. Um, what's interesting is he doesn't get very far. He doesn't get outside the... His, his whole goal is to get away from God's presence, Right. Yes. But he even knows he can't get out of God's presence, right? He even knows. So what's, maybe we can unpack this, is that, does he really think he's, by him going out into the ocean, that God's not there? Does he really think that, that that's, you know, um, going to uh, alleviate him from having to do what he's called to do? Yeah, because it can raise questions, right? It can raise questions um, that are historical First Testament questions from other nations, right? Other right. nations that thought that gods were geographical. Right. And that their their power or their capacity was limited to a geographical locale. Right. Um, is that what Jonah is dealing with here? Um, uh, and I don't think that's what Jonah is dealing with here. And I think Jonah actually later, if we jump ahead, I think... In verse number nine, Jonah answers that he answers his theological conviction concerning uh, omnipresence. If you want to read that, John. Yeah, he says, and he said to them, he's talking to the sailors who just kind of said, okay, fess up, where are you from? What's going on? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So obviously in one sense, it doesn't mean, Jonah knows he's not going to flee from God being everywhere as we call omnipresence of God. There is a different sense of what she's saying. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I don't think he's saying, "Oh, I'm going to go to a place where God's not found." 
Um, and, and, and to be sure, if this concept is a concept, uh, the omnipresence of God, or as I like to paraphrase it, being everything being before God, yeah. right? There is nothing that God is not instantly cognizant of and is not before his presence. In the Psalter, in Psalm uh, 139, yes. verse 7, yeah. uh, the Psalter says, where can I go from your spirit? And the anticipated answer is a negative. There's yeah. no place that I but can and go. You know what's interesting? Just to pause right there is that the psalmist writes that for comfort. It gives him comfort that I can be anywhere and you're still there. Here it's the opposite. Here it's, I'm trying to get away from that, you know, which tells you something about his, the state of his heart in, in one sense. Yes. That he would, he does not want to acknowledge and, and, and maybe I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but in one sense, in the Old Testament, to be in the presence of the Lord meant that you stood in his court ready to receive his word and do his word. Yes. And in one sense, what Jonah is saying, I don't want to be in that court to hear his word, to receive his word, to do his word. I don't want to do his word. That's that's what he's basically saying. Um is he fleeing from from God's actual omnipresence? No. He knows that. No. And God even tells him through the sailors, through the storm, through the, the raging of the sea, I'm still here. And I still have a job for you to do, you know? Yes. You know. It, it's interesting because in in that section he says, Where can I go from your spirit? And it anticipates in the in the Hebrew text a negative answer, right? right? Um, it's rhetorical. In other words, there's no place that you can go to do that. Right. Or where can I flee from your literally face? Face, yeah. Um, and it's it's very similar in its structure to Jonah's attempt to flee from the quote unquote from face, face of yeah. God. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. And he says, and and so he starts to give what we call metonymy. Um, he starts to speak of the most extreme places in order to cover everything in between. So the Psalter says, uh, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. Or rephrased, I'm still before you. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave or the netherworld, whichever you prefer, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Okay, so so he's obviously the in the psalmist he's he's takes great comfort in the fact that God is is where he's, you know, and that brings, you know, no matter what you go through in life, uh, God's always there. Sometimes being like, "Well, God, why did you leave me when I was going through the hardest time?" And God says, oh, "I was still there." But my question back into Jonah Somebody who does not want to be in the presence of God in the sense of does, he's not, he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. Um, there's this unwillingness to, to do what God calls him to do. What kind of state of mind is this brother in? What, where's, his, where's his heart? Because I wonder, I ask myself and I say, have I ever been unwilling to do mm. the will of God for whatever reason? I know some of the prophets in the Old Testament were unwilling because of the fear. We we said that Moses said, you know, I can't talk. You know, who am I? Pharaoh is really strong and powerful, and I'm just a little guy, right? God alleviates his fears. He says, "Who made the mouth?" Right? Um, I give you a staff, throw it down, turns into a snake. You know, and I give you all these abilities to do miracles. You know, so he he affirms him, and he says, "I'm going to be with you." Right? Same thing that Gideon saying. Um, there was an unwillingness because of fear. Um, in Jonah, there's an unwillingness for a different reason. 
it's not fear. He's not afraid of the Ninevites. He's not afraid of the Assyrians. He, he knows what they can do. He's afraid of something else, though. He's uh, or he's unwilling because of a different reason. He says this later on. I'm a, I knew that you would want to save them or give them an opportunity. Yes. But what there's a disconnect between God and God's prophet. God's prophet here doesn't have the heart of God. And in one sense, oftentimes that is really the, the work that God has to do in our lives is change our heart so that we see people the way he sees people, right? Uh, that, that we have the same compassion on people that, that God has compassion on people. And so um, I can relate to Jonah's thinking, I don't know if I've always been willing to do what God has told me to do. Yes. Mostly because of fear. Here is because he doesn't want, he doesn't like the people he's being sent to. But anyway, I'm interjecting and interrupting your you know, Hebrew no, discussion. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I think it's important because we must ask the question, John, is this healthy? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to identify the reality of not being willing to do yeah. what God says to yeah. do. We identify that. But we have to ask, is it ever healthy to stand against God in disobedience? Because you raised the question, what about his condition? Yeah. And I would purport that his condition at this point is an unhealthy condition spiritually. Well, it's unhealthy to even think, well, can I even get, get away with it? Yes. You know, I mean, he's, he, he receives this word from God and God, you know, tells him where to go and he decides to go the opposite direction. Tarshish, which, you know, we really don't know where Tarshish is at. We just know it's not in the right direction. And hopefully in Jonah's mind, it's far away from Israel so that he can at least, you know, maybe be too long. And hopefully during that time, God has chosen somebody else, you know, um, but it's the fact that he is trying to not be willing, or he is not willing, to do what God wants him to do. And that's the state of Jonah's heart. And for why he's there, or what happened to bring him there, uh, obviously, uh, those are questions we can, we can delve into. So, Well, it's an interesting thing, because if, if we were to look at this verse and consider several details here, um, first of all, I think it's important when we're looking at verse number three, he wants to, and we've already seen this as what we refer to as a sandwich or an inclusio, as it were. Right. That is, it's bookends, Tarshish, and going away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's a key. Now, first of all, we have to discuss what is it about going away from the presence of the Lord? Here's what I think is important, John. When Elijah in Kings is preparing to prophesy, he will prophesy and he'll say, I am before whom I stand. Right. And the idea of that idiomatic phraseology is simply this, that the prophet had a post, as right. it were, right. a position wherein he stood before the face of God yeah. um, as an um, individual entrusting, waiting patiently, but entrusted with the, the word of I am right. so that that individual, the prophet namely, could then be instructed by God with what to say and to whom he was to say it yeah. and to leave the chamber of the presence of God to deliver the word of God to the people of God for the purpose of God. Yeah. And so it, here's the idea. Um, where Jonah is, is in the place, uh, in the post, in the position of, of attendance before the 
face of I am who is giving him in verses one and two orders, just like he gave to the other prophets. Yeah. He wants to escape that. Yeah. He wants not to hear from God. He wants not to receive his orders from God because he doesn't like what's inside of the package of the orders. So his concept of fleeing, as in verse number nine, is not, I think I can get away from him uh, and from being before him, but his concept is, I want to escape his voice. And his voice is represented by being in the place where God speaks the book of Deuteronomy, the place where God set aside for his namesake. Because remember, this is during the time of the divided kingdom. So he wants to escape the place where God gives revelation. And in his thinking, what better place than to go to Tarshish? And there's something significant about Tarshish at this particular time. We should probably turn to Isaiah 66. Because in Isaiah 66, there's this little fact that is couched here in the narrative. And it reads in verse number 19 in this way. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations. Tarshish, Put, Lud, Mishech, Tubal, Yavan, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. In other words, what is being argued is, at this particular time, namely, under the ministry of Jonah, Tarshish had not yet been entrusted with a revelation, a specific or particular revelation uh, uh, from I am that revealed his word. So he's trying to go to a nation that had not even heard of I am or his specific salvific revelation. It's almost as if Jonah, who in one sense represents the people of God at that time, perhaps their heart was the same way, as if they forgot what their job was about in the first place. You know, they may have thought, well, we have the one true God, we have the, the, the proper temple to worship at, we have the promised land, we have the prophets, we have the law, right? And as if to think, well, that's all for us. Yes. We're chosen because we're special, and sorry, you guys are losers out there, and you're not special. Whereas just the opposite, it's like, no, I chose you as a people to speak through you and your prophets and to bring this message of hope and forgiveness and grace to the nations. To the nations. Right. Uh, it, Genesis 12, for in you, and Genesis 15, right. for in you, yes. all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's, and, and sometimes as believers, let's just contextualize this to, to, to modern, modern times, sometimes we as believers, we forget that. We forget we are Christians that are meant to be light in a dark world, right? And so many times, Christians, we don't want to interact with the world. Oh, we're afraid of getting, you know, whatever, you know, catching some disease or, or some sin or something. Whereas God has called us salt, and he's called us light in the dark world. Our job as believers is to be that to whoever we may encounter, and that includes people who have never heard of him before. That includes people that don't know who he is. You know, I, I talk to my, my, my kids, right? They, they're in, um, my daughter's in high school, and, and she tells me stories about these kids, her classmates, that, you know, she goes to a public school, and she tells me stories of, of these kids who are in horrible situations, mm. and they make, they're, they're not making the right decisions, or they have no parents at home, or their parents are really, you know, this... And I told her, I said, listen, they don't have a good example at home. They don't have a, a godly home or a godly... They don't know any better, you know? They don't have... They, they're almost, I don't say hopeless, but they're in a bad state, you know? 
And here, uh, come to talk with the teacher that says, you know, she likes to, she's good with the good students. She's also good with the, the, the struggling students in the sense of she has stability and maturity, you know, and they need that. And, they, and, and uh, my, my point is, as a Christian, we have to be willing to be that kind of person, you know, because that's what yes. God calls us to be, you know. And Jonah, in one sense, doesn't know his God. He's a, he's a chosen prophet of God and the chosen people of God, but he doesn't know his God. And that's the biggest problem. Those people who have to hear the message, the people of Tarshish or people of Nineveh or people of wherever country out, outside of Israel, they also don't know that God, but they're, in one sense, they're willing to listen. Jonah has an even bigger problem. His, his problem is he has the answer, but he doesn't want to face the question. You know, he has he has the, the antidote, but he doesn't want to admit to what the, 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 the cancer and the sickness is, you know? Mm, well said. And so, um, so Jonah, is an, he's an anomaly to me. He's, he, in one sense, he's an anomaly. He's an, he's, a, he's an irony, a walking irony. He has the answer to the, to the problems of these, of these people around the world, namely here in Nineveh, but yet he's unwilling to bring them. You know, there's, a, there's a disconnect with Jonah. Um, there's also something with Jonah where, though, he's also relatable to us because he's both a sinner and a saint. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, average Christian. You know, we, we, we know what the right things to do is. We, we have the truth. You know, we believe in Christ. Yet at the same time, <laughs> we don't live up to that, you know. And Jonah is 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 like us in in many ways, you know. We can look in Jonah and say, "Oh, Jonah, you're a bad guy. You went the wrong way. Shame, shame, shame." You know. Well, we're like that as well, you know. We we are walking, and how how God is gracious to us to still want to you know stay with us is amazing. Um, he's both the sinner and the saint at the same time, and and there's this wrestling, there's a struggle, there's a turmoil that's going on with Jonah. That once it's I can relate to. I know what it's like to 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 want to do something for God, but I also know what it's like to say, no, God, I don't want to do that, you know? And so God has to work with my heart too, so. Yeah, you know, you're very cognizant that for the prophet, the sin of silence is very grave. Mm. Um, Ezekiel, if I tell you to cry and you do that not. That almost sounds like a poet, a poem, you know, you can write. The sin of silence is very <laughs> great. <laughs> I don't know. It just, you know, I don't know if you're into poetry or something. <laughs> I know you're into Shakespeare. You read Shakespeare to your wife, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's another thing. So, go on. It's, it's, it's you know, when he says to Ezekiel, I will literally hold you responsible. Hmm. I, I'm paraphrasing, but their blood is going to be on your hands. This man is in a journey opposite, and and I think it's very interesting because in this narrative, as throughout the scripture, geography means a great deal. Yes. And what you'll find in this story, as you're very aware of, John, is that geography and topography, geography, where it is, topography, the lay of the land, right? right? Um, How it is. Both of those are going to play a very big role here. Well, let's look at in verse three, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, okay, away Mm -hmm. from from the presence of the Lord. So he's we, we think he's, if he's, well, he's either starting off in Jerusalem, if he's, you know, or he's uh, up in, in the Galilee district, that's wherever way, he, wherever he's at located right now. Tarshish, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, which is probably what, northeast or something like that, and he decides to go like southwest, or he goes, he doesn't go the right direction, so he's fleeing there, but then it says he goes down to Joppa. Yeah, but before he goes to Joppa, his intention is go to, to go to Tarshish, right? Right. Now, if if it, that's that is um, uh, 
on the coast. Right. It is, um, while we don't know its exact location, if in fact we are to to suggest that scripture gives us a hint at this, I, I want to read something in 2 Chronicles 9 that's a, very interesting. I have a theory of where it's at. Oh, but, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, we have to talk about that because I, I, I do. I'm, I'm with you. In 2 Chronicles 9, there is this little um, statement that is made amidst a discussion of Solomon's wealth and power yes. and how his wealth is obtained. And in the midst of that, in verse number 21, 2 Chronicles 9, the text says this, For the king had ships which went to Tarshish. Now, what's interesting is Tarshish, again, in my thinking geographically, is extreme west. It's the edge of Israel's geographical awareness, right? It's it's a distant, exotic land. Uh, and, and so he's going to speak about this. Um, and he says, uh, he went to Tarshish with the servants of Huram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. So, so this is interesting. <laughs> this is not a trip down the street. No. Now, no, wait, you're, I know you're going to see Tarshish in Spain. Well, yeah. And then I, here's, okay, I'll, okay, okay, go, I'll, go I'll, grant, I'll go grant you that's far, it could be far away because you it's once every three years. Well, it probably took them a year from Israel to go to Spain because mm-hmm. they didn't go very fast. So it could be that, you know, that's possible. Possible. Um, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get into where exactly Tarshish is at, but the point is it's in the wrong direction, and it's far it's, enough away that perhaps it will alleviate his responsibility. It's in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's far away. If, in fact, it is the Tarshish of 2 Chronicles 9, yeah. the ship only comes back every three years. So at best, what we do know is this guy is on a very distant trip. Right. He's trying to go to the extreme. So he's he finds a ship that's going to Tarshish. Do you know he, he, he leaves from the port of Joppa? Or Joppa is, which is, I've been there before, you know, it's near Tel Aviv. Um, at that time, it wasn't under Israel, uh, Israelite control. Which is really important because yeah. for some readers, they may think something like this. Wow, this guy is biased or prejudiced. That's not what's going on at all. Mm. In fact, Joppa at this particular time of this prophet is under gentilic control. Right. The individuals that are going to be seen to the um, the uh, shipping responsibilities, uh, the sailing responsibilities are Gentiles. He's not prejudiced and, and against you know, Gentiles. You know he's not biased against them. No. In fact, well, he's. this is very selective of him because... You know what it is? You know when you you know you're doing something wrong, okay? You avoid places you know where certain people go, like mm-hmm. church folk, let's say, you know, <laughs> you avoid going to church or you avoid going to this restaurant. You know, you when you really want to avoid anything related to God, you'll 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 know where to go, right? And you'll know where to avoid. He's it's like he's he knows the 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 people that are going to be there aren't going to be fellow Jewish people that are going to remind them of, you know, the prophecy he has to, he has to give. And they're going to be foreigners, so to speak, let's say. And he wants to sort of blend in and sort of just meld in and just kind of just forget all that, you know? That's Absolutely. Sort of, this is very selective on his part. I think that this is important to discuss just for a moment because uh, when an individual is listening to this, I've heard some modern um, teachers um, 
I will not say uh, expositor because they're not expositing the sense of Scripture right. here, in my opinion. And I do not think that it's true to Scripture at this stage. They will say, you know, Jonah was prejudiced. No, he wasn't. They'll try to impose yeah. the bias and the prejudice of modernity onto the historic text in several ways. And the Bible, frankly, knows nothing of that sort of dilemma yeah. in its writing, right? Um, the Bible was not referring to the slavery of Americanism when it's referring to no. the slavery that is spoken of in the scripture with indentured servitude, right? right Which right. served a very important purpose um, that was actually for the good of the individual who was steeped in debt, right. right? And Paul is not encouraging this when he's referring to Philemon going back right. into servitude. So, right. so there's a misunderstanding there. What is being referred to here, I think, is comparable to uh, something that has happened within the framework of our world history in the 1930s. Namely, it would be like a Jewish individual knowing the cruelty of the Third Reich. Right and being told, go and present to them the merciful, gracious, forgiving character of God. Yeah. This person is not prejudiced against Germans. They are saying, Lord, wait a minute. We don't want you to show them a hand of mercy. We want them to be destroyed. Right. That's what's going on. So yeah. he's not anti-Gentilic here. Uh, he's trying to get away from the merciful message and character of God. And of course, when you put it in in that light, more I'm sure more people out there, including myself, in one sense, oh, I could see that. Mm, yes. I can see being in that place where I I don't want that guy being saved. Oh, Hitler, no way. You know the the Nazis, no way. Um, pedophiles, no way. You know we fill in the blank. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, those people really deserve it. You know, they really really deserve to burn. You know, and yet. God decides to at least give them some warning to to change, and so I can relate to Jonah in that sense. Um, we're not going to get very far today, are we? Because <laughs> well, we're still on, on verse three. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can try and get it. We'll at be least old men walking with our canes. <laughs> hey, John, how's the book of Jonah going? <laughs> Hold on, let me put my dentures back in. <laughs> Over in verse seven. <laughs> All right, so we're going. We're going down to Joppa. We're finding a ship. We're 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 being selective where we're going. We know what we're doing. We're very oh, yes. and we're not telling anybody because this is our own little secret. You oh, know, we're in complete, steeped in disobedience, we are s- disobedience, and complete denial. Um, and nobody knows who we are. Uh, it's interesting as you talk about the topography, topography and geography. You know, it says he goes down to Joppa. Yes. Which, which is the word Yared, right? Yeah. He's going down. Going down to Joppa, which right. means he probably came from perhaps Jerusalem, which is a higher elevation, um, obviously going on to the coast. Uh, finds a ship going to Tarshish. Now, um, as I was you know, looking at this, uh, I, I, I find it interesting that uh, translators are, are sort of not split on how this is translated. The sense is not necessarily that he found a ship and say, oh, we're, which is the ship that's going to Tarshish? This perhaps would be a, a ship that regularly made a trip to Tarshish. And the Hebrew seems to sense, uh, gives a sense that they just got back from Tarshish. And he, it's, and he hires them to quickly, let's turn back around and go back on the route again. It seems like there's a, 
uh, a sense of still being hurried. Let's get out of town as fast as you can. Yeah, there is this sense. The Hebrew text is very interesting to me, John, because um, um, what he's doing is he he goes down to Joppa and he finds a ship. Um, and then the ship is going to Tarshish. And the nature of the Hebrew here uh, gives... Um, an interesting little note. Um, whereas in the English text, it would say, so he paid the fare. Right. There's not the the um, ambiguity in the Hebrew text. Yeah. It would be more he paid her fare. Right. It's like it's not like what you're saying is... Um, yeah. What I'm saying. Well, like he's a passenger. Yeah. What I'm saying is what is suggested, what is hinted at in the text is that this prophet may have paid for and whole, hired this whole ship. He commissioned the whole ship. I mean, this is desperate. He's spending a lot of money for what could be a very elongated journey, hiring the ship, the crew, to carry this one man away from the commission of God. But, so this disobedience is expensive. But isn't it, isn't it like how it is when you know you're doing something wrong, that the, the, the lengths you'll go to to cover that up, to control the the outcome, and to you know to hide this, to hide that. Um, here's Jonah being very slick. He'll 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 do anything to 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 get out of town. He'll do anything. He'll he'll hire a whole boat for crying out loud, and not tell anybody who he is, what he's doing, knowing full well what he's called to. I, I just think it's interesting that sometimes as we when we know we're being disobedient to God. Not about you. I don't think you've sinned. In, oh no, <laughs> all have sinned. No, when we—that was when the we. right pronoun. When but we when, are being but when you are being not just uh, you're being selective and you're being very deliberate in your disobedience yeah. to the point where you'll spare no expense to get what you want happening and done. Um, th- that speaks even greater to his his state of uh, of his heart, paying the whole you know commissioning the whole boat. Uh, to go and 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 to go as far away as possible, so that he does not have to do what God wants him to do. And maybe that's what's going on in his mind. Is that perhaps he's thinking, well, if I get far enough away from here, God will forget about me and pick somebody else. Because he's probably got a whole lot of other prophets out there who can do the same message, and he'll probably think, well, he's uh, Jonah's on vacation, you know. And and you know, maybe that's his hope. You know, maybe that's his hope because. Maybe it's not because we don't know. Sometimes when you're going through this, you don't really think straight because you don't know what you're doing. You just don't. You just don't have a plan. You John, just kind of do. I had a survey of the Old Testament professor, um, uh, former professor Dr. Kim Oberholzer, who was I didn't have him, but <laughs> who was a graduate of um, Dallas Theological Seminary, Th.D. Um, he was a Texan. He is a Texan. He's yet alive. Wonderful, godly, extraordinary Bible teacher. And uh, in his Texas accent, he looked at us in class one day and he said, gentlemen, sin will make you stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you're looking at this text and you're thinking, this is irrational. Yeah. Because you already know, verse 9, that you cannot escape yeah. the, the face of God from being before him. But there is this irrationality that seems at the moment so clear, yeah. so rational, to the point where, where you would go to great expenditure. And, and that's what I think is important to know in my own life, that when I think I'm doing something rational that is actually irrational, and I'm trying to run away from God, it's costly, John. Yeah. And here's the question I want to ask myself. 
How much does it cost me to disobey God? How much does it cost in life, in years, in youth, in strength, in marriage, in family, in so many ways? And, and I get the sense that someone is right smack dab in the middle of the high cost of disobedience, whether in the body of Christ or outside of the body of Christ. How long can you afford this irrationality? How deep are your pockets? Or in the words of James Weldon Johnson, your arms are too short to box with God. In, in my own words, your pockets are too shallow. You have no length in your bank account that is prepared to finance your oppositional attitude venture away from the direction that God has told you to go. It's going to be a lot more economical for you to bow your knee and obey God. Mm. You know, this, uh, I think it, maybe we'll finish this verse before the broadcast ends, because uh, there's a point that when he's fleeing, he goes down to Joppa, he goes into the ship, pays the fare, goes down with him, tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. And as if, that, as we said, the sandwich of verse 3, where the thing he's very much trying to flee, the presence of the Lord, he can't, he's stuck. Yes. Um, in the next verse, he finds, out, he finds out just right off the bat, you know, that God doesn't forget him. God sends a storm. God, right. God sends a storm to get his attention. He doesn't send a storm to, to hurt him or to kill him, but it gets his attention, or hopefully, you know, gets everybody else's attention. John, do you remember when we were children and um, at certain times on the playground, there would be young boys or girls who would hold their fingers in their ears and they would say, nah, nanny, nah, yeah, nah, yeah. I can't hear you, yeah, right? Yeah. This prophet has his fingers in his heart, yeah. in his spirit, yeah. in his spiritual ears. And what he's trying to do is create a deaf situation that is soundproof, that will block out the voice of God. Yeah. Um, he's paying a lot of money. He's going to a lot of lengths to do that. What I'm, what I'm wondering, and of course, that's, that's really the, the sandwich, the book ends, right? Yes. The thematic ends in this verse. Yes. Away from God's face, away from God's face. And what's at the middle of it? to the furthest extreme that the prophet can afford and that he knows. Yeah. And what's in the middle of it for us? To the greatest extreme that we can afford and that we know to run from God's voice, God's commission, God's command, and God's demands upon our lives. And what you find when you make that effort is that you'll go nowhere. Yeah. You'll accomplish nothing. And ultimately and finally, you'll end up right back in the place where God commands you and end up doing what he has demanded of you. And, and I think this is important because someone right now, it is the very firm yet gentle pleading of God. Turn around. Mm. Turn, the, the, in, in the First Testament, there's this Hebrew word, shuv. To return, to turn. To return, to turn, to repent. It's translated in different ways. And listen, this doesn't just mean a turning in your heart. It means do an about face. If your action is contradistinctive to what you clearly know God has called you to do, it, maybe you're not in ministry right now. Turn. Maybe you're not at home with your wife. 
turn quickly. The money that you're spending, maybe you're not there with your children. Turn around. Maybe your career is where you've turned to because you're afraid of the sacrifice that ministry will place upon your shoulders. Turn around quickly. I don't know what it is, and I wouldn't pretend to guess or prognosticate. In fact, I don't need to because the Holy Spirit right now has his hands on your fingers that are in the ears of your spirit and saying, you hear me. You know that this is my voice. Tarshish is not far enough. The ship that you paid for does not, there's not enough fare for you to be able to get away. Everything listens to me. You're the only person that doesn't get it yet. But may I say to you, earnestly, tenderly, in the words of the hymnal writing, writer, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Even if, as John said, you're a sinful saint, still his words are, respond, listen. And I think the sense of his voice is, you don't need to wait a year, a month, a week, a day, or even another moment. His word to you is, turn around now, before, by grace and mercy, and yet with August strength, I turn you around. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.